Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode, your burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And today we've got Casey McGuire Davidson, who is a life and sobriety coach who's helped thousands of women change their relationship with alcohol. She's the host of the Top 100 Mental Health Podcast, the Hello Someday Podcast for Sober Curious Women. And as an ex-red wine girl who spent 20 years climbing the corporate ladder while holding on tightly to her love of red wine, Casey is passionate about helping busy women stop drinking and create lives they love without alcohol. Casey, so, so good to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. So I'm going to just let the listeners in on a little secret, which <laughs> is that you and I actually recorded this exact episode and then the file got deleted. So we actually get to do this all over again. We had so much fun the first time that we decided to do it a second time, but you only get to hear the second one. So yeah, and I'm sure each time the conversation is kind of different and we go to new places. So it'll be great. Amazing. So uh, you have the traditional uh, story that we hear about, which is, you know, the corporate ladder story. Um, I don't know if there was burnout involved where it came, where the wine came in, but we'd love to hear the story. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. I mean, I think that it was the combination of what so many women go through. You know, uh, I dealt with imposter syndrome and anxiety that I didn't know enough or that I wasn't good enough. Um, you know, when I started, I started in consulting. I ended up being the, you know, one of the youngest people ever promoted to managing consultant. I was like 25 years old wow. and I was going into really big meetings at American Express and telecom companies. And I felt a ton of anxiety, very, very worried that, you know, like I didn't know what I was talking about um, or that I was going to get fired. So I had always been this like gold star girl. So I had this combination of working incredibly hard, doing a ton of research, being super prepped, and then also counterintuitively drinking a lot so that I could shut down my mind at the end of the day and sort of relieve that anxiety. 
And, you know, it started out when I was younger with, you know, wine with dinner in my little apartment um, after college and then going out with friends and boyfriends in my 20s, you know, in Washington, D.C., dancing. And then as I moved along in my life, I just sort of shifted what I drank with the life phase I was in. So, you know, it went to beers when camping and kayaking in Seattle to dinner parties with all of our couple friends and endless wine bottles on the table and then mommy wine culture and then, you know, business trips. And I was always a big drinker. Um, Unlike some people, you know, I grew up with like a wine bottle on the table every night. So my parents and family, nobody was a big drinker or drank the way I did, but Mm -hmm. it was sort of just what was done. It was the adult beverage with dinner that was sophisticated that marked the end of the day. And so I took that, you know, information and then managed to not go for a single glass of wine at dinner, but fairly quickly to two and then three, and then eventually the entire bottle. I was a bottle of wine girl, 365 nights a year, unless I was actively trying not to drink. So what you're describing is number one, which I think is important for people to hear is that sometimes we grow up in a culture where alcohol is the norm. And I think for most people, that is the case. But for some people, it's like, as you said, on the table every night or as you grow and develop and in your different circles, people are drinking in different contexts. And then you start to develop your kind of, you know, drinking portfolio, if you will. Um, And that's totally normal. Like that is, that is actually the norm. Right. And I think these days, if somebody says, I don't drink, they're outside the norm. Yeah. Right. That's how normalized it is. Yeah. And it's the first question anyone asks you, any time in the evening. So you go to someone's house for dinner, you go to a bar, a restaurant, even over to a girlfriend's house with your with your little kids in the afternoon. The first question is, oh, what would you like to drink? I have wine, I have beer, I have X. It sort of signifies we're going to talk, we're going to bond you know, with your coworkers at happy hour, we're going to bitch about our boss or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's important to highlight because we start from this baseline of alcohol is completely normal and it's expected. It's actually expected. So if you are really stressed out and this is something that helps you kind of get through the day, as you said, kind of helps you shut down your mind after a really stressful day at work, or if you're just hanging out with friends and you're going to bond or if you're in a social setting and everybody else is drinking, right? There's so many different reasons why you would drink. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different reasons. And you asked about burnout earlier. And I think that my burnout story was very much connected with my drinking. And what's interesting, and I know we've, you know, I've talked with burnout experts before, and we talked about this earlier, that the symptoms of burnout, meaning what you physically feel are also very similar to what you feel when you're in alcohol withdrawal. Um, You know, when you drink, your anxiety spikes quite a bit. 
um, you have trouble sleeping, the 3 a.m. wake ups are very common, your nervous system is shot to hell, you feel unable to cope, um, you feel emotionally volatile. And I know there's so many other symptoms of burnout, uh, but a lot of them mirror the symptoms of dealing with drinking a lot and then withdrawing from drinking on a regular basis. So, I mean, I had different periods of my life where I really felt like I was having trouble coping with my life. And I both had a very high pressure job. Um, and I was drinking a lot, as we discussed. So every morning I was waking up with sort of a vague hangover. I had bloodshot eyes. I had woken up at 3 a.m. with anxiety and um, couldn't go back to sleep. I, uh, you know, was losing hours of time in the evening, not being productive, thinking that it was my relaxation, my well-earned reward. And yet, you know, it was making me feel good for maybe two to three hours a day. The beginning of that was you know, where it really actually made me feel good, sort of the first 20, 30, 40 minutes. And then it was making my life significantly harder for the other 21, 22 hours. I mean, it was like I was trying to run a marathon with this ball and chain tied to my ankle. Wow. Now, I recently heard somebody talk about how sometimes with certain substances, you do get that immediate hit like you were just describing. Um, or even sometimes it triggers something in your brain where you don't necessarily like how you feel, but it your brain is craving more. Yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if that was your experience where it's like, I really didn't enjoy that, but I have to do it again. Is yeah. that something that sounds familiar? Well, I mean, nobody likes to talk about this, but alcohol is a highly addictive drug and it's highly addictive for everyone, meaning, yes, some people have underlying conditions that make drinking very attractive to them or they have a social situation where alcohol is everywhere. But if you consume enough alcohol on a regular basis, you will become progressively more um, emotionally, habitually, physically addicted to it because that's the substance working as designed. So alcohol is very interesting in that it is a substance that hits your body very, very quickly because it goes straight into your bloodstream. It is both a stimulant and a depressant. So it literally shuts down your, your brain function um, that's a lot of what blackouts or grayouts are. If you don't remember parts of things or if someone's like, we talked about this or even more, your brain literally is not recording things that are happening around you. At the same time, you get this dopamine hit, right? This very immediate dopamine hit. It's a stimulant. And so people use alcohol as sort of like the ability you're you're driving down the highway in fifth gear, you get home, you finally get the kids to bed and you want to downshift fast, you know, as quickly as possible, because as women who multitask, we like to be efficient, right? We're like, go, go, go. All right. Now I'm on relaxation time. So uh, expert described it to me, like if you can imagine 
um, you are start when you're drinking, you're sort of the way it slows down your brain is you're driving through mud, right? You hit the acceleration pedal to get through the mud. Then when you withdraw from alcohol, a couple hours after you stop drinking, that's why two or 3 a.m. wake-ups are very common with anxiety. It's like the mud ends and you suddenly jolt forward speeding. And that's what it does to your body. Um, but that immediate physical effect, that's very, very real. So we've talked about how the symptoms of burnout can sometimes be similar to the symptoms of alcohol withdrawal. And we talked about the normalization of alcohol in our society. And for you, there was imposter syndrome on board. Would you say that imposter syndrome is what led you to burnout? Or is it like the snowball effect where you had imposter syndrome and the way that you were coping with the alcohol kind of together brought you over to burnout. Like, I'm just curious what your yeah, take on that it, is. It's it's definitely a combination. I mean, people talk about liquid courage, right? Or um, the way that alcohol makes you stop thinking about your endless to-do list and allows you to relax. The very interesting thing that happens, though, is that alcohol actually heightens your anxiety and it also heightens depression. It's a depressant and it also lowers your ability to feel emotionally stable and to feel happy without it. So those are our chemical reactions that happen every time you drink your cortisol level, your stress hormone actually spikes for a number of days afterwards. Your body, um, because you're getting this constant infusion of dopamine in your bloodstream, your body wants to regulate it. So it actually resets your natural level of that happy hormone lower than it would be without alcohol to like try to bring yourself back into balance. And it lowers as well your serotonin, which is your mood regulation hormone. So yes, imposter syndrome, anxiety. And for every single person, it's something different. For some people, it's social anxiety. For some people, it's difficulties in their marriage or difficulties, you know, with their children or financial insecurity. I mean, the question I like to ask all my private coaching clients is, what do you not have to think about when you drink? Because mm, that's a good question. Yeah. Everyone oh, like that underlying reasons that they drink. But for me, I had this endless to-do list. I had, you know, that perfectionism, people pleasing, which is a lovely combination, right? You never feel like you can set a good boundary. You never feel like you're, you can relax. Plus I was shooting my nervous system to hell and my anxiety off the roof. And I probably hadn't gotten a good night's sleep in years. I mean, even a single glass of wine lowers your sleep quality by 29%, two lowers it by 43%. I mean, it's shocking. And then we're also tired. Yeah. And it was just, you know, I was going through my workday, getting promoted, doing well, and yet felt like if anyone knew how I was coping, which was drinking every night, um, it would all be over. And I was the primary breadwinner. I mean, had two kids, had a mortgage, you name it. That's a lot for anyone. 
Um, but one thing that you said that I thought was super important is, you know, on this podcast, we talked about how there are three types or, or profiles when it comes to burnout and everything you described with regards to anxiety and imposter syndrome really kind of fits into the thinker profile, mm-hmm. right? So these are the people that are very much in their head. They've got a lot of negative chatter, self-criticism, all of that creates anxiety. And I, I think what's super important as a takeaway, if you know, if you're, if you're out there and you're listening and you're a thinker is that sometimes we think that we'll feel better and not have the anxiety, not have to deal with whatever's bothering us. If we drink, right. I'll take the edge off. That's what people say. Um, but it's so important to also recognize that it actually can exacerbate your anxiety. And that's the thing you have to ask yourself is, if I drink this and it helps me feel good for a little while, but then I'll have even more anxiety, do I really want to take this into my body? Or is there something else I can do? So you went from being this person who was gradually drinking more and more to now somebody who doesn't drink. What happened to your anxiety? I'm just curious. Well, I think that, you know, I talked a little bit about the underlying problems, which is sort of the reason that drinking was very attractive to you in the first place. And there are also aftermath problems that get resolved very quickly. I mean, you know, within two to three weeks or within a month. One of the things I noticed, you know, things do get worse before they get better. Those first two weeks are very difficult. Um, because your anxiety is spiking, but you're not having the substance to take it away. You're physically craving alcohol to get those levels of all your hormones back to the same place. After those first two weeks, you get way more regulated, right? Your cortisol drops again after about two weeks, your dopamine restores and serotonin in 30 days. So People will notice my anxiety went down about 60% after my first month, which I'd been drinking since college. I didn't, you know, I had gone to my therapist various times over my life being like, you know, they ask you the question, how much do you drink? And I gave the standard like couple drinks, couple times a week. I was drinking a bottle of wine a night on the regular and, um, but She never really asked me about my drinking because God forbid, that was the last thing I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about my boss and my marriage and, you know, my schedule and responsibilities and boundaries. And so basically I was going to her saying, I can't sleep. I have overwhelming anxiety. She was prescribing me anti-anxiety or anti-depression meds plus Ambien. So I was drinking a bottle of wine a night. Taking an Ambien, incredibly dangerous. And I've worked with hundreds of women. My podcast has over a million downloads. I am not alone. If you think that what I'm describing is beyond the realm, not true. So many highly successful women are drinking a bottle a night. You know, it, it's not unusual. And so and mixing it with and mixing it with prescription drugs, as you described, I think that is super common, especially because, you know, you want help, but you're not really honest about where you're at. And so the provider doesn't always know or they're not asking and you're just taking whatever you can to feel better. 
Yeah. Well, and the other thing is we all want the easy button, right? I mean, we're so busy. We want to be efficient. We just want a solution. And so first alcohol is the solution, right? To we've been, we've been brainwashed. We've been conditioned. And I am, I am a hundred percent in this boat. I was the biggest uh, proponent of like, you've had a hard day. Oh, wine time you know, you deserve it. Mommy wine culture, sippy cups are not for, you know, nap time is the new happy hour. Um, I thought it helped me connect with my husband. I thought it helped me relax. I thought it was sophisticated. I thought it helped me bond with my clients at work. I thought it helped me be, you know, reclaim some of my identity that I had before children. Like, yes, Every night I come home and I do dishes and bath time and bedtime. And I used to kayak and play guitar and go to Pilates and do interesting things versus the monotonous routine. But, hey, I'm drinking red wine while playing Candyland. So I'm still a badass like that literally was ingrained in my mind. But I wanted the easy button, which alcohol was for a metaphor for all of those things. And then I also wanted a quick fix to the physical effects of alcohol. And for a long time, I was oblivious, but that's what the drink and then the pills were. And when you stop drinking, first, your body and um, your emotions even out, but you really have to develop a lot of new coping skills, right? And they aren't press the button and feel a different way. It's all right, I am overwhelmed. I'm lonely. I feel like everybody's asking too much of me. I feel like I need more fun in my life. So then you have to solve for those individual needs, right? Mm -hmm. I needed to stop um, listening to political news when I got out of the shower, right? It would put my emotions all over the place. You know, you have this negative view of catastrophe coming around every corner. Um, I needed to not put my head down and work through the entire day. I started taking walks in nature at lunch, just blocking off my calendar. I started uh, looking for treats or rewards in my life that weren't alcohol-based, and that took some creativity, but it was amazing. I set better boundaries with my boss, telling her literally, um, I need to you know, take more time to be more present with my family on the evenings and weekends. Um, I will you know, of course, get anything done that you need. I was in a high pressure job, but if it's an emergency, text me and I'll jump on email. Otherwise I'll look first thing in the morning through, you know, six, I mean, honestly, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's enough, right? We should be able to take, nobody does, but we should be able to take some time. And so just setting those boundaries helped me a lot. And honestly, asking more of my husband, right? I think I got in the habit of martyrdom, resentment, mm -hmm. um, and not, you know, asking or demanding what I needed to make it more equal. And part of that was okay because I was drinking a lot. So I didn't want him looking at me too closely or requiring more of me. So I didn't want to be like, you do X, you do Y, you never help me. And he's like, dude, you're passed out on the couch a couple nights a week. Like, 
let's, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're pointing fingers, I got a few to point myself, you know? Right. Yeah. You've got so many amazing points there. Um, and I, I'm so grateful that you're sharing this. This is like the true inside look into what happens inside families in inside lives when we're drinking and we are dealing with so much. And it, what I'm also hearing is that there's a lot of internal pressure that you put on yourself. Like you said, if I am, you know, playing a game with my kid and I am drinking, then I'm a badass. And I think the implication is that we have to do it all in order to be a badass. And uh, I think the messaging there is skewed, right? It's not really healthy messaging. Like the messaging should be, I'm taking care of myself and I'm doing each of these things as I can, but I'm not necessarily having to like make myself crazy and rush around and try to do all the things and be everything to everyone because that's what leads to all the problems. And that when we have those problems, as you said, sometimes it's easier to not deal with them, but that only makes you live in a life that you're unhappy about. And then you need to keep covering it up with more and more alcohol or drugs or whatever it is that you're doing, you know, that creates that dopamine hit. So I think the message is really, really clear and very important for people to hear that there is no getting around doing that inner work. And that even though it's hard sometimes for us to go on this painful journey, go through the withdrawal, face our issues, work to fix our marriages, whatever it is, that that's what eventually will actually lead to the life that we want to live. And I think that's worth fighting for. Yeah, absolutely. It completely is. Now, I know that you prepared some myths around drinking, and I'd love for you to share those because I think they're really important as well. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges women face is because we've been raised in this culture and we've been sort of taught to believe, I mean, since childhood, that drinking is like a privilege of adulthood and makes you sophisticated and mm. required for a good time and helps you be make an evening romantic. I mean, literally, we believe this, that um, women also have a lot of fears about what will happen if they stop drinking. And they are all across the board. But um, I bet any woman who's thinking about this is who is, you know, participates and enjoys the drinking culture, or even is worried about their drinking is like, oh, my God, I don't want to stop because of X. So there are, th these are things I believe deeply that kept me drinking for a long time. And I hope that, you know, if anyone's heard of the sober curious movement or participated in dry January or seen all the articles about the non-alcoholic, you know, zero proof cocktails or the growth in NA beer or the health effects of drinking, how it causes cancer and how um, they're, you know, moderate drinking, red wine is not good for your heart. Moderate drinkers are not healthier than non-drinkers. There is a huge movement of information and people trying on the sober curious movement. That said, here are the beliefs that I had. Um, the first one, I won't be able to have fun if I don't drink, or I will be bored if I don't drink. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was like, 
I will never have a good time again. This will not. I. What do people do who don't drink? Do they just like sit around and stare at each other? And you know, yeah. How do they yeah. even have conversations? You know. And so this is how a lot of people think, right? And you're saying it's a myth. You've been on the other side of this. Tell us how you think about it now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, there, there are a couple different ways of thinking about it. Some of my clients are like, oh my God, this just really makes me want to drink. This won't be fun if I don't drink. And I'm always like, is it just not fun? <laughs> like, yeah, I was going to say, like, if it's not fun without the alcohol, maybe it's just not fun. Right. I mean, your and, and your universe of, of fun um, shrinks if you, when you start drinking and start drinking more and you probably do not even realize that it's a very, um, unconscious editing out of people and interests and things that don't include alcohol. So, you know, for example, I remember very early in sobriety, I got up, which I, you know, Saturdays for me were usually like, Oh, mom doesn't feel so good. I would sign up for a 10 a.m. yoga class and decide, you know, screw it. And, you know, all this stuff. Um, I woke up, I drove across the bridge. I live in Seattle. So it's all gorgeous mountains and water in the summertime. And there were all these people biking and running and talking and it was beautiful and shiny. And I'm like, oh my God, do they do this every weekend? Like it felt like an alternate universe. And I had just not been aware of it. I'd been at the boozy dinners and the wine tastings and everything mm -hmm. else. Um, so, you know, in the early days, like my first two months, I ran a 10K for the first time in six years. Wow. I was like, oh my God, I am a person who does what I say I'm gonna do. I connected with people, um, including online in very genuine ways, because when you stop drinking, depending on how you think about it, how you talk about it, I don't use any labels to describe myself at all. I just say I'm a woman who used to drink a lot and loved it and decided to quit because I feel better without it. Like full stop. That's what I say. Um, and you know, it, and yet when you're vulnerable, when you say, actually, I decided to stop drinking, I find that my anxiety is less, I'm better able to cope, I have more energy, I better sleep. Other people connect with you too. And it may not be around alcohol, but you have real, genuine conversations. My new interests, I mean, I went to this mindful triathlon where we did yoga and dancing and aerial, you know, all these things and face painting. Like it was like summer camp for adults. I took up guitar again. Wow. I that sounds so amazing. Things, right. <laughs> and I still had my job and my mortgage and my house and my kids. And yet I wasn't hungover every day. And also like, I'll never be able to have fun. How fun is it when I'm passed out on the couch and my husband can't wake me up or when I don't remember the end of nights or the end of TV shows or movies, like that's not that much fun either. Not to mention all the physical issues that come with drinking. Like yeah, hangovers, the actual, also not the hangovers, <laughs> the, the extra weight you put on, just like so many things. So you've given us so many reasons to drink and so many reasons not to drink. And we, you've 
demystified a few of the beliefs that you used to have. Are there any other myths that you wanted to debunk for us? A big one is I should be able to control my drinking or drink less without stopping completely. Mm. And um, trust me, I tried to do this for years and years. I made all the rules. Like I'm only going to drink two drinks a night. I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I signed up for 5.30 a.m. boot camp classes so that I wouldn't drink. I signed up for running club at night so I wouldn't drink. I, you know, did Whole30 because you can't do alcohol. Like if there was a way I could have tried to control my drinking without actually stopping, I had done it. What you don't realize is, and people can, you know, manage their drinking with a hell of a lot of effort for a very long time. Um, It is so much easier to stop drinking completely than to try to control it. And the reason is, A, it's an addictive substance, same as smoking, right? Like once you get hooked on smoking, once you pass a certain threshold of craving it, it's very hard to just have a cigarette once, twice a week, right? That's, That's very difficult. And that's because you are in physical withdrawal. You're also, it's a habit, right? Once you start drinking, every time you go out to dinner, setting a dinner date is a cue to drink and cues trigger cravings. So you actually have to get away from it. Alcohol is like this magnet. The further you get away from it, the less pull it has on you. So I really encourage anyone to who is trying to control your drinking without stopping, just take a 30-day break. Just see it as a health kit or an experiment. So many people are doing it. And as you get further away from it, you'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe how much it impacted my sleep. Or I can't believe how much better my relationship is or how much more peaceful I feel. Or I've followed through with like, you know, morning pages, writing or meditating or whatever it is that I've told myself I was going to do for two years and never done. And I know that you have a 30 day challenge for those who are like, all right, I'm intrigued. I want to try this. Yeah. So, uh, which is a great resource because people might be like, I want to do it, but what do I do? Who, how do I get started? So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I have a free 30-day guide on my website. It's at hellosomedaycoaching.com. It's really comprehensive. It's like 30 pages long, Um, but it's also very fun. And what it tells you, it's 30 tips for your first 30 days. Everything from how to shift your mindset about not drinking. You, You don't have to be quote unquote that bad to stop drinking. You don't have to have a problem with alcohol. You can see this as a health and lifestyle experiment, um, telling you how you're going to feel on day four, how you're going to feel on day 15, Mm -hmm. what treats you can, I call them sober treats, but what treats and rewards to incorporate in your life. And you kind of in the beginning need one every day. You need something to look forward to that aren't alcohol. Um, so that you're not like, oh my God, my life is hard. And alcohol was my one reward. My drink at 6 p.m. was my one reward. It probably was, but there are a million other lovely things out there that you can do 
to take care of yourself. And it also, there are a ton of books and groups and podcasts um, that are all positive and empowering with wonderful women or men just like you who are doing this alcohol-free thing. And it's sort of like this underground world on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and, you know, the universe that you probably haven't heard of, but it's like pulling a thread. You, you find one resource and you're going to find a hundred others and be like, dude, this is cool. Which I think is really encouraging that even though what we're exposed to is the norm, as we talked about, which is that drinking is like everywhere you go, having that sort of a resource guide where not only do you know what to expect from day to day as you're going through your 30, but also all these resources that show you the other side of like what else exists. And if you decided to go completely sober, that you can reinvent your world so that you do have fun, but that you're not masking your problems. You're not masking your emotions. You're living a healthy life and Mm -hmm. you're truly happy. Yeah. So I, I, I love that. And I definitely want to promote your 30 day guide for sure. Um, and I also want to encourage people, if you're not quite ready for the 30 days, just follow Casey on her podcast. Hello someday. And like just tuning into that, I think episode after episode, you get into that mindset and then maybe you'll be ready for the 30 after a few episodes. So yeah, or just take a look at how much alcohol dominates your life or, things that you think alcohol is required for, or like, look at it like, all right, what are the bad parts of it? What are the things where like, I overshared, or I'm at a conference, and I really wish um, I didn't have a hangover the next day when Mm -hmm. I'm in this meeting, or just, um, you know, it's not, everybody goes out to dinner or they're on vacation and they take that picture of their fancy cocktail on the bar and they're like hashtag date night or whatever. Um, You do that because it's a signifier for I got dressed up. I went out with my spouse. I'm out with girlfriends. It's a metaphor that's very easy again to communicate, but is it necessary or could you try one night with um, zero proof cocktails and see what's good and what's bad. Like just evaluate it with a critical eye. What's better and what do you miss? So that's that element of curiosity that you were talking yeah. about. And that allows you to explore different options. So this is really great because you want to think about not just the negative side of alcohol, because, you know, sometimes we're just focused on how it's going to make you feel in that moment. But no, you want to think about all the things that all the other problems it creates in your life. And you also want to go back to the question that you asked in the beginning, which I thought was brilliant, which is what don't you have to think about when you're drinking? And those are the real issues that you want to pay attention to in your life and work on so that you don't have to mask it with something like alcohol. You really get to change those things in your life so that you're truly happy. Yeah. And some of that for me was just like boundaries with my boss, overwhelm. I had too much on my plate. I didn't have enough excitement and fun. I felt like I missed being 27 years old, right? And instead of taking these small steps to slowly shift the way I was living my life, 
lower the bar, add more help, put some boundaries in work, incorporate more fun just for myself, require more of my husband. I was basically coming home and metaphorically knocking myself unconscious with a bottle of wine over my head. And I had a really great life. And when I look back, I'm like, that's kind of sad that I wanted to turn off my brain every single night because I was gritting my teeth through my days instead of shifting things. I felt trapped. I felt like a victim. I was like, is this what life is supposed to feel like? And my life was great, you know? You can only imagine if somebody's life isn't so great or if it's really hard, like how much harder it is to figure out how to cope with the stress and be happy, right? And I think, um, you know, if if you follow Buddhism, it's really about stripping everything away and getting just to the root of yourself. And truly, we've been conditioned to think about all these external things. And I think that's what leads so many people to burnout, where really it's about that relationship with yourself. And the more that you are at peace with who you are, the happier you're going to be, regardless of all the things that are going out on outside and in the world. So I really, really want to thank you. This has been such an empowering message for our listeners. And uh, also because, as I mentioned, this is our second go around. So (laughs) for you to dedicate even more of your time. Oh my God, I love talking to you. I'll do it anytime. (laughs) All right, we might have to have you back then. (laughs) All right, now for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you are a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Now, regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you're ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye, everybody.